0: We've all delved into the depths of human belief, psychology, the paranormal, and demonic possessions. Instead of the paranormal, let's shine a light on a different kind of darkness, the human psyche. There are motivations behind the phenomenon of demonic possessions that uncover the uncomfortable truth that the real villains aren't lurking in the shadows, but are found within ourselves. As Emily Dickinson once said, One need not be a chamber to be haunted. One need not be a house. The brain has corridors surpassing material places.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to a brand new episode of the Haunted Detective Podcast. I'm your favorite host, Kelsey Childs, but everyone calls me the Miss Pamela J. And I'm your favorite
0: co-host, Pamela J. But other people know me as the paranormal Sherlock Holmes. (laughs)
1: this episode is all backwards we're totally kidding we're not trying to boggle your brain i don't know if you guys noticed but the intro i didn't do it because every sixth episode pamela is going to be taking over doing her own research because honestly we like want you guys to fight over us so i like having psychology with pam time who do you like better me or pamela it's Pam's Psychology Corner. <laughs> Pam's Psychology Corner. Yay! Anyways, without further ado, you guys don't have to hear my annoying voice today. So, Pamela, what are we doing?
0: You're not annoying, first off.
1: Second off, Kelsey, you mentioned
0: in previous episodes that you don't really believe in possession.
1: I really do don't believe in possession. I, I believe that it's possible, but I don't believe that you are getting millions of people getting possessed a year. I think that that is like, just a little like ludicrous. Improbable. It's a little, a little, a, a, <laughs> a little, dumb, a little, uh, I don't know, like not happening. What did you say last time? Like there's not enough demons to go around. <laughs> if you're working with demons, like Annalise Michael was, then sure, there might be enough demons because every bad person apparently turns into a demon. But I really just, you know, that's my whole thing with that is it's so ethnocentric. Because I know we talked about demon possession in other cultures, but that's not what the theory is, right? The theory is, is that it's a Christian possession. It's a Catholic possession. And no, not to knock, I know we say this all the time, not to knock those religions, but it's not the only religion.
0: Yeah. And we're, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned Annalise because we are going to dissect that entire case in a second from a psychological and sociological standpoint.
1: Oh, I mm. love do you. You say what I going brain. with this. I think I do. And um, yeah, I think for once we might end up falling on the same side of the yeah, spectrum. Do you think we're going to agree this time? Oh, my God. <laughs> Is is this where the podcast ends? No. Oh, my God. Are you kidding?
0: (laughs) There's there's way too many stones left uncovered in the world. (laughs) Got to turn over more stones. Got to turn them all over first. Okay. So let's recap for a second. We know what kind of what possession is. We've heard from recent episodes from Miss Kelsey about what possession is said to feel like, what it's supposed to look like. And even sound like. If you haven't heard the exorcism of Annalise, that audio is in episode four. So, um, like I said, you should go and listen to it because Kelsey and I both, uh, and our awesome editor Chris, uh, we were totally freaked out. So, regardless if you believe in possessions or not, we can all agree that it definitely sent chills down our spines.
1: Yep. Yeah, I... Chris texted me, it was like midnight, and he goes, I don't know, man, I'm like editing this episode right now and I'm actually scared. I'm actually getting freaked out. Kelsey actually called me and we listened to it together. And
0: I have seen so many horror movies. I've seen every Conjuring film, I've seen Sinister, I've seen Insidious. That sound that Annalise was creating actually freaked me out, genuinely.
1: Me too. I got chills down my. I got like tears in my eyes. So, yeah. I mean, we're we're not like. I I know we're gonna. I, I'm going in blind to this. I don't know what Pamela's gonna bring to the table today, but to discredit possession, we're not saying that it isn't very real to the people who think they're possessed. Right. So before we get into this, um, we're not we're not not we're not yucking your yum. Basically, exactly. So. As we're opening up the case file
0: today on demonology, we're also going to need our psych book, okay?
1: All my little nerds, gather around. You're going to love this. I love the DSM-5. It's my top (laughs) Amazon Kindle recommendation. So, Kelsey. Yes. What percentage of
0: America's population do you think believes in possession, that it is a real thing and that it happens?
1: I would say about 85%, maybe.
0: Okay. That's a little high, but it's about half. So nearly half of the American population believes that possession is real, and the demand for exorcisms have mysteriously been on the rise. But why? December 5th,
1: 2023. What?
0: Very recently. Wait, what? Yeah, I know. So here's the thing. I have some examples of this. Okay. The most recent one being in 2022. Okay. But I have two things to say before we get into this. Okay. One, trigger warning. Some of these details that I'm about to talk about are quite horrific. So if you do not want to hear these details, please skip ahead a little bit. And two, these cases that I will be talking about are going to be briefly touched upon. If you want to deep dive into these cases, I recommend doing that on your own. I'm simply just talking about them to give you a basis.
1: I've got my popcorn. I'm ready. You ready? I've got my teddy bear. I'm clutching him tight. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Little Squishmallow. Oh,
1: Squishmallow. Terrence Cottrell in
0: 2003 an autistic eight-year-old boy was suffocated to death during a prayer service that was meant to, quote, drive out the evil spirits, end quote. His official cause of death was determined to be mechanical asphyxia. The Reverend Ray Hemphill, who had performed the exorcism, sat on Terence's chest until he stopped breathing. The Reverend was later convicted of homicide.
1: Are you shitting my dick right now? I really wish I was. What was it... Were they like of the belief that autism is demon possession? I'm going to get into that. Okay, sorry. Not Hold to, the phone. Not to
0: Hold the, the phone. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through a few of these and you'll notice a common theme. Okay. Mauricia Cornici, who was 23 years old, she was a Romanian nun. Mauricia began hearing voices and she thought it was the devil talking to her. Now she was treated for schizophrenia but then she relapsed. That's when she was given an exorcism. Mauricia was then tied to a cross, gagged with a towel, then was left in a convent room for three days without food and water. Mauricia's cause of death was said to be suffocation and dehydration. What does that solve? I have no idea. She was treated for schizophrenia, But then when things got worse for her, they just decided to just tie her to a cross and gag her with a towel.
1: That that was going to solve anything. So they didn't even like do prayer. They didn't, you know, like banish "Banish the demon. You are gone back to hell. No, nothing. They just locked her in a room. What the hell? Basically. it Was it like. Not even basically. Was it a combination. I'll I'll save my questions till after. (laughs) I'm sorry. No, you're fine.
0: In 2010, Christy Bamu was a 15-year-old boy who on Christmas day in his home in London was beaten and drowned in a bathtub by his sister and her friend. Their reasoning was that they were trying to give him an exorcism to get rid of the evil spirits in him. His sister and her friend tortured him using knives, sticks, metal bars, a hammer, and a chisel until he, quote, begged To die, end quote. The sister and her friend were both convicted of Christie's murder. What? I know.
1: I'm just, I I guess I'm missing, I'm missing where this solves anything. Because even like Annalise Michael, I know we're gonna talk about it later, but Mm -hmm. her case was criminal, right? Right. And of course, the legal proceedings were different because it was in a different country. But these cases, they're not even like, and at least they were actually doing exorcisms. Mm-hmm. But the they are like, this is hiding behind the guise of possession that is really torture, abuse, and fucking murder. Exactly.
0: That no literally exactly.
1: Like the nurse the not the nurse, sorry. Like the nun who they locked in a room. Mm-hmm. I dare I say that it had nothing to do with the fact that they thought she was possessed, but they wanted to hide her because they were ashamed of her mental disability. Yeah yeah no, that's I mean and we're gonna deep dive into this in a little bit, but you are you are on the right
0: track. So that leads us to 2015. The exorcism of Laura in Argentina. Church officials filmed this exorcism of a 22-year-old woman named Laura, performed by Bishop Manuel Acuna. Laura writhes, bangs her head, screams profanities, and supposedly, the exorcism ends very well. Evil spirits leave Laura, and the bishop makes the sign of the cross over her. No one passed away, no one was tortured. He said a prayer, she was banging her head, screaming curse words, and then poof, over. But that was 2015. The 2022 case, this is the one that I'm going to get into in just a second. So, I think it's safe to say that these exorcisms are still happening.
1: Yeah, um,
0: yeah, (laughs) fuck. Father Vincent Lampert, who is a Catholic priest and designated exorcist for the Archdiocese of Indianapolis, has said in interviews that he has witnessed people, quote, foaming at the mouth, growling, and snarling. He says that exorcisms are an ancient rite in the Catholic Church and said, quote, a prayer directed to God or directed against demons, that prayer has the power of commanding a demon to depart the body of a human. Based on the power and the authority of Christ, end quote. He says that he receives around 3500 requests per year from people all over the world seeking help from the church
1: and possibly exorcism 3500 people a year so my question is are is he entertaining it is he like is he sending people to get psychiatric interventions before he sees them From based
0: on the interview, he didn't really say, but I don't, I think it's implied that he doesn't take all 3,500 requests seriously. Yeah. That some of them are just like, okay, this person either A is just joking, like they just think it's funny. Two, I'm sure there's people that he can tell are in need of medical care. So he doesn't, he might not reach out. I don't know if he reaches out to them and suggests that. And then three there's people that he actually believes need an exorcism.
1: So I what I want to know and we'll get into this more I guess as we talk more on this episode mm-hmm. are is it not his responsibility if someone approaches him about an exorcism thinking that they're possessed when they're really not as a trusted member of their church of their spiritual following? would it not be a moral obligation of him to send them to a mental health professional yes and no more yes recently and
0: i'm going to get into this later as well because that's why the vatican stepped in is because of these types of instances because it happens so frequently that the vatican like we the vatican had to step in and say something
1: That's wild. And like the Vatican's hands are definitely not clean. So They're not. So I feel like, you know,
0: it's bad when the Vatican has to step in and be like, hey guys, something's wrong here. Absolutely. Yeah. So as we know, these exorcisms or I guess so-called exorcisms over the years aren't really based on any hard evidence. These people, these children lost their lives. We can acknowledge that possession could be a possibility, however, we should also acknowledge heavily, heavy on the heavily, that there's no supporting evidence, especially in a court of law. For example, the Devil Made Me Do It trial that we talked about in last episode. Professor Joe Pierre M.D. stated, quote, We should recognize that similar beliefs about possession have contributed to the age-old gruesome practice of trepanation. If you don't know what trepanation is, it means drilling holes in the skull to release bad spirits. Oh, that's a thing? Yeah, it's a... I mean, yeah, Professor Joe said it best. It's a pretty gruesome practice, but they used to do it a lot. Yeah, they thought drilling holes into your skull uh, was, like, the best solution. I-, I-, I don't
1: know why. But then again, we also used to do lobotomies. I feel like compared to drilling a hole in your skull, lobotomy is like, uh, ugh. Oh. I know, but then, like, you hear what a lobotomy is, like the ice pick through the top of the eye into the frontal lobe.
0: As well as the persecution and murder of the many thousands who have been accused of witchcraft, Likewise, several cases of death from exorcisms have made newspaper headlines over the years, including that of Annalise Michael in the 1970s and a three-year-old girl as recent as 2022. These deaths by exorcism appropriately resulted in charges of negligent homicide and felony child abuse, end quote. You mentioned at the beginning, Annalise Michael. Yes. And then I said, well, there's also a case in 2022 That we're going to get into.
1: It's a three-year-old girl.
0: Correct. The 2022 case that Professor Joe is referring to is that of a three-year-old girl who was smothered during a day-long exorcism in San Jose, California.
1: When you say day-long, you mean no breaks, 24 hours, or 12 hours? Yes. No, like, wow.
0: On a three-year-old? On a three-year-old. On September 24th, 2021. Wow. Okay. What's worse to me is the police named the perpetrators as the little girl's mother, the little girl's uncle, and the grandfather. So it was all people that she trusted to take care of her and love her and protect her.
1: That's so fucking sad.
0: And I'm sure you would like to know that they were all charged with felony child abuse leading to her death.
1: Naturally. Okay, that's good. Now, Kelsey. Yes.
0: I have a question for you. Okay. Do you believe, I already know the answer to this, but do you believe that any of these cases involve the perpetrator being an actual demon or an evil spirit?
1: No. I mean. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I knew the answer. Here's the thing. Exorcisms are one thing. Negligent homicide is another thing. Mm -hmm. And I love TikTok, right? I think it's a great app. We can communicate across countries. We can, you know, be uncensored. But the thing is, is that with that lack of censorship, which it's a good thing, don't confuse me by saying it's a bad thing, Mm -hmm. people are able to lie more. Yes. And people, like, I go on lives at during ghost hunts or talking about haunted things, and people come in, they're like, demon, 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 demon. And I'm like, oh my God, not everything (laughs) is a fucking demon relax, literally calm the fuck down. But the thing is, is a lot of these people, it's so deeply ingrained in them. Like they are taught from a young age that any ghost, any spirit, any entity, anything not conforming to their idea of the religious way. Mm -hmm. uh, And I'm specifically singling out extreme Catholicism and Christianity is demonic. The devil plays tricks on you. The devil jokes. The devil is here to trick you to go to hell. How do you have trust in anything if that is how you were raised and how you were taught to view the world? So then inherently someone has mental illness and they're saying, I'm hearing voices. It's demons, but uh, it's really scaring me. I think I'm possessed. Instead of trusting the medical system, instead of trusting doctors, psychiatrists, medication, you're going to believe that those things Telling you not to exercise that person is of the devil. And now, with widespread communication, those beliefs and those fears are getting shared. Yes. To millions of people. Yeah. So basically,
0: humans are the scariest. Ghosts, demons. Yes, they're a, a thought. They are a figment of your imagination, even though some believe in ghosts. And I respect that.
1: Ah, uh, shut up. Love you. Love you too.
0: <laughs> but people, regardless if you believe in ghosts or not, or demons or not, people are evil. People are scary. People can hurt you. Absolutely. And so when I was researching into this, um, I researched into a lot of academic articles, but randomly I found this like tiny little quote, and the author is unknown. And it's very short, but it says, quote, when I was a child, I was afraid of ghosts. When I grew up, I realized people are more scary.
1: It's so true. Like I am scared of ghosts still. Like I have this thing where I see ghosts and I don't like it. I don't want it. I never asked for it. Can't get rid of it because it's part of who I am. But. Every single time something happens, like I have had so many paranormal experiences because I just get hitchhikers. They come back. I have a lot of haunted objects, mm-hmm. whatever, right? So I've had weird things happen in my own personal environment. I, every time, have walked out with my battle axe in hand. <laughs> Who is there? <laughs> because I'm more scared that it's a person breaking into my home. Yeah. And the thing is, is that with possessions, they're creating an identity for fear. They're creating a malleable and palpable thing to associate ghosts and demons as being scarier than people. And thus we fear the afterlife. We fear that which we do not understand. And that's how we get things like the Salem witch trials. That's how we get cases like Annalise Michael. And I think that bringing in bringing in awareness that possession is not always the case it usually usually is something else much more mundane which is mm-hmm. why for once i'm on the same page as you because the the overwhelming fear of demons and the devil and possession and hell and the threats upon threats upon threats it causes people to lose their lives right and so that
0: leads us into the next section, where we're going to explore the question, if, what if all these so-called exorcisms were justifications? The Research Center for Trauma and Dissociation of the SWPS, University of Social Sciences and Humanity, stated, quote, the notion of evil spirits influencing human behavior or mental processes is used in many cultures to justify various symptoms or experiences. It is also expressed in psychotic delusions of possession, but there is limited research in this area. They find a commonality between those who have schizophrenia, might come to the conclusion that they are or were possessed, but this affects how they seek proper help. These researchers conducted a feminological analysis And they identified three main themes. One, links between dramatic experiences and psychotic symptoms. Two, the emergence of religious themes and delusional contents. And three, reluctance to use medical treatment and instead seek an exorcism. They noticed that in each case, possession was supported by the local environment and media which led them to seek spiritual help rather than medical and diagnostic assessments and treatments. In fact, in their research, they found that people with psychosis can develop a strong conviction that they might be possessed. And rather than being possessed, they actually were experiencing personality disorders or dissociative disorders. They found the common features with these patients to be their social environment and the belief in possessions. The patients who just needed medical attention were doing things that one might associate with the classic demonic possession that we know today, such as voice changes, the sensations of paralysis, violently shaking, and even making animal noises like growling, end quote. So in short, the notion of possession has been stretched to justify and explain issues with regulation and impulses. Your social environment is so powerful, it can determine whether you seek medical help or seek an exorcism, especially under the influence of social media. And they quote, delusions of possession are embedded in folk beliefs about the influence of evil spirits. When other people like, for example, priests or your family members share those same beliefs, this only reinforces that delusional thinking. So like in the case of the three-year-old girl, they were all feeding into each other of this delusion and no one stepped in because no one saw anything to be wrong. This discourages the use of diagnostic consultations and negatively affects compliance.
1: Wait, hold on, sorry, pause for a second. Yeah. So this is practically what you're describing is also the phenomena of what happened with every single witch trial ever. It happened with satanic panic. It happened with all of these just weird, freaking societal outbursts that ended in mass hysteria and death. And I think it's really interesting because one of my favorite psychological theories is the copycat theory. Yeah. And it's take 13 reasons why. It's a show that romanticizes suicide and it shows, oh, you will get vindication by killing yourself. Yes. And because of this, because Hannah Baker, who was the main character, was a relatable person, a relatable teenage girl, suicide rates went up exponentially. And on top of that, the same happened with how to kill a student. Suicide rates went up exponentially. The same happens with school shootings. Every single time a school shooting gets published nationally or internationally, it increases the chances of a school shooting. So is what you're saying that it's almost like the copycat theory where we we leech on to each other and we leech on to our own, like our mutual thought processes and use that as a jumping off point. So, right would would you say that and i know neither of us are experts we're not psychologists or psychiatrists nope but i'm i'm kind <laughs> of curious if you would say that the fact that people conform in this way whether it's through the copycat theory or it's through this theory with exorcisms and possessions mm-hmm. would you say that that is indicative of them having some sort of mental health struggle that because, again, especially with possessions and exorcisms, they're encouraged not to seek help, Mm -hmm. that is just amplified. And and they finally end up breaking in some sort of way, but they break in the way that causes them to murder people because they genuinely, in like a very Munchausen's way, believe that these people are possessed. Yes, in some cases. And then in others- in
0: others religions and cultures and hell even your own household it's unfortunately more acceptable to be possessed rather than to have a psychiatric disorder because of a, the stigma associated with mental illness or mental disorders okay so some of these people in their social environment they're like well I'm experiencing voices or I'm having a lot of depression. I'm having a lot of anxiety. In some of these cases, they're like, well, you don't need medical help. You need God. You need prayer. Whoa. And everyone around them is like, yes, you need God. You need prayer. And no one says, hey, wait a minute. Maybe there's another way. Maybe there's, maybe there's a doctor. Maybe there's treatment because it's, it doesn't cross their mind. Because yeah. this is what they fully believe.
1: The same, at the same time, social media is also exploiting these behaviors. Oh, absolutely. Because if you weren't a Christian, you weren't a Catholic, if you weren't devout even and went to church and went to these super problematic facilities and institutions, you would never know that this was happening. Right. And it takes a very, I hate to say it, but our podcast genre of paranormal and true crime, it's very niche. So it takes a very niche Mm -hmm. sort of research to figure it out, put the pieces together, which is what we're doing through the season. But the thing that gets me is a lot of people with religious trauma are now Mm -hmm. seeing plainly these toxic traits in some of these religious institutions. And I just keep thinking about this guy. I forget what his name. He's a, he's a pastor of a mega church. And he's basically one of his preachings is autism means you're possessed by demons. And now that everything's recorded and posted online, a lot of theologists and a lot of mental health professionals are seeing this and being like, wait a damn minute. Right. And and it's interesting that you say that because that was the first case I talked about was Terrence Cottrell
0: who was an eight-year-old boy with autism.
1: Yes, and that's why I asked. I was like, did they believe that the autism was a sign of possession instead of a mental health, I don't want to say disability because it's not a disability, but a mental health difference? Yes. I mean, this, this, this part, in my opinion, is
0: up for interpretation because A, they could have seen it as this is easier than trying to get him help. This is cheaper than trying to get him help. This justifies what we did to him because this is what we believed and he lost his life ultimately. Yeah. So it's more or less of everyone had a toxic idea. Everyone had this toxic plan and instead of getting him help, they just were like, well, this makes a lot more sense. This is less embarrassing for me because people are like, I would rather be possessed than have depression. I'd rather have anxiety or I'd rather be possessed than have anxiety.
1: Well, here's, it's the same thing with, with the nun that very much seemed like they were hiding her because they were ashamed. So, Mm -hmm. so let me get this straight. What you're saying is that not only could it be a copycat type syndrome, but it can also be a guise and a mask to hide behind. Yes, it can be a guise to hide abuse. Yeah, damn. Yes. It's
0: it goes back to the whole stigma associated with mental illness and mental disorders. And it's it's really, it's honestly really sad. It's really fucking sad that these some of these people just didn't get the, the medical attention that they needed and
1: they could have been living a very happy and healthy life. That's the thing with Annalise Michael that just it really, really gets me is that no one stopped no one stopped and said, wow, maybe we should make her eat before, like, not even like, oh, let's stop the exorcism. No one stopped to say, maybe we should make sure that she is mentally able to keep going and doing this. Right. And so now that we've covered All of this fun stuff,
0: right? (laughs) All of this interesting stuff involving stigmatism and mental illness, justifications of abuse in the realm of exorcisms. Let's apply this knowledge
1: to Annalise Michaels' case. Okay. Yeah. Because I've honestly, since the possessions episode, I've literally been raring to talk about this. And I'm very happy that this is a central point in the podcast today. So, (laughs) (laughs) all right. So, Let's go through this.
0: One, Annalise Michael, she was a former student teacher at a local university. She was considered to be deeply religious, who was raised by deeply religious parents in a small Bavarian town in Klingenberg. So this checks the boxes of A, strong religious beliefs in her social environment, and B, small town, Everyone knows everyone, everyone might even worship the same. So that's box one. We have social environment and media supporting the idea of possession. Okay. Two, when Annalise was a teenager, she had off and on psychiatric care. But down the road, she started to experience more severe items such as epilepsy, for which she was treated. However... After four years of medical treatment, her condition and depression became much, much worse. And then she and her parents were said to have become convinced that demons or the devil had possessed her and that the family turned to the local church for the cure. So this checks the box of A, due to having those strong religious beliefs, and having those in her environment supporting, who did we turn to? An exorcist.
1: The church. Oh, yeah. I mean, same difference.
0: <laughs> yeah, you got, you. yeah, you're right. So this is our example of choosing the, the church over mental health and medical okay. treatment. So we're, we got two boxes so far. And just to confirm this suspicion, it was reported that during the trial, Annalise's father, Joseph, Michael and mother Anna, or Anna, were taking notes during the trial and only paused to moan, quote, oh, dear God, end quote, when a doctor was testifying that Annalise had a mental disorder rather than being possessed by the devil. So just to clarify, from the looks of it, they were annoyed that the doctors were essentially making them look bad. And the no doctors are saying, like, oh, You guys are jerks. Like, they were just saying, hey, like, she was not getting the proper treatment that she deserved, and what
1: happened to her was
0: absolutely heinous.
1: Wait, 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 wait. So, they, did they moan, oh, dear God, or did they moan, oh, dear
0: God? It was more of an annoyance from the articles I found.
1: Jesus fucking Christmas tree on a fucking pogo stick. The audacity. Yeah well, I mean that just goes to show that
0: sometimes these beliefs are so heavily ingrained that no no matter the scientific evidence brought to you, it does not matter, but it also can be deadly. And I wanted to say just a, a little side note uh, about this trial. the parents were defended uh, by one of Germany's top lawyers, okay um, His name was Eric Schmidt Lechner who also defended numerous people in Nazi
1: war crime trials. So they're being defended by this pretty much atrocious lawyer who's morally corrupt and probably the antagonist of the entire plot of the story? I mean, maybe.
0: I I just thought that I'd throw in that little tidbit because it was mentioned in the article that I... That I found. And so I was like, if that article threw that out there, I'm like, I'm going to throw it out there because it is a really random but interesting fact.
1: Can I make a really quick connection? Sure. And we'll talk about this more next week on our conclusion. But, okay, so we have this lawyer who defended Nazis, but also defended parents who practically murdered their child through exorcism and negligence. Mm -hmm. And then we have the Vatican who housed Nazi war criminals, defended and gained monetarily from the Holocaust. So now we're seeing two, the two pillars of this story combine in a really weird way. Right. And I just, I I don't know. I think it's interesting because what does possession and exorcism do? It And religion, in a lot of ways, that is taught in this way, it makes people fearful so that they keep consuming the material. Mm -hmm. And what did the Holocaust start from? What was the spark that lit the the fucking wildfire that killed too many many people? It was fear. It was Mm -hmm. fear. It was fear and submission. So now we have this lawyer who's not only a Nazi defender he's also a defender of murderers and i know he could have chosen to say no to taking their case he could have chosen to say no to taking the case of nazis and then we have the church who is a defender of exorcisms or sorry not the church the vatican who's a defender of exorcisms and a defender of nazi war criminals are we make, are we bridging the gap or are we bridging the fucking gap? So,
0: so, obviously, just to recap obviously, all of these items combined led to the justification, the start of abuse, and ultimately Annalise's death. The topic of possession to this day still remains as a top theological debate. And despite its, you know, renewed popularity in the US, the Vatican has started to play down exorcisms and exorcists saying, quote, must not consider people to be vexed by demons who are suffering above all from psychic illness. End quote. They even cautioned their priests against treating as possessed, quote, victims of imagination. End quote.
1: Okay. Okay. So here's the thing. This is what they're saying publicly. Mm-hmm. But now we know, we know that this is not what they're, how they're reacting to exorcisms privately. Right. They are training thousands of, oh my God, are we uncovering a fucking conspiracy? Probably. Cause I mean, damn dude. <laughs> it's like, it's literally the Vatican is doing this. Hey, don't bang your head into the wall. It's bad for your brain. As they're literally training people how to bang their head into the wall more efficiently. Basically. Yeah. What but I found it. In,
0: I found it interesting that the Vatican was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's not that serious, guys. It's just
1: not that fucking serious. They're and doing then, that to save face. Yes. And they're doing that so no one looks deeper. Because think about it. If... Someone or multiple people are killed, arrested, etc., in relation to demon possession and exorcisms. Where is the first place people are going to want to look? The start of it all. The Vatican. And what does the Vatican have to do to stop? Because we've already seen, especially with the case of Emanuela Orlandi, mm-hmm. that the Vatican does not want people looking. The Vatican does not want people exploring. Right. So what are they going to do? to hide whatever it is they're fucking hiding. Sounds like that we're just going to have to keep digging. Oh my God, this is mind blowing.
0: (laughs) Well, now that we've uh, dug deep into the human psyche, I think that's enough of psychology and sociology today. You think so? I think we are all good. You can close your textbooks. There is no
1: homework. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but I want to discuss. I want to talk about this for a second, right? Mm Mm-hmm. PubMed and the National Library of Medicine or the National Institute of Health, they have dozens of articles on demon possession, Yeah, and they associate it with mental illness and all this stuff. But demon possession has become a real diagnosis. It has become a legitimate diagnosis, not to say they're actually possessed, but to say you are suffering from demon possession which is i believe from what i've read it's a way of saying you are suffering from religious
0: munchausen's disease right that's why the vatican referred to it as victims of imagination yeah as in they're victims of of themselves essentially that's insane basically it turns the whole discussion of possession on its head
1: there there's a really interesting study on published by pubmed on National Institute of Health and published on the National Library of Medicine which by the way they only publish legitimate studies here this is delusions of possession and religious coping in schizophrenia a qualitative study of four cases mm-hmm. and i think that that's so interesting notice the word delusion and they're they're even saying that they're finding links between traumatic experiences I'm going to quote this quote. Participants reported traumatic experiences in close relationships from their childhood until the present. The content of their psychotic symptoms seemed to be connected to these experiences and conflicts related to expressing anger, sexuality, and dependency needs. End quote. Yeah, and that
0: was what the uh, the Research Center for Trauma and Dissociation talked about. Is that they found these links when they um, when they conducted their analysis because there were so many links between traumatic experiences and psychotic symptoms and then the emergence of all those religious themes they just it just all created into one big thing that we now know as exorcisms and possessions because people would rather seek well certain people would rather seek spiritual help religious help rather than
1: medical help it's interesting because there were even neurologists and psychiatrists uh, specifically one named jean lermit from He was born in 1877, died in 1959. He was a French neurologist and psychiatrist. And he had studies on demon possession, mental health, and multiple sclerosis. So he's not even pulling from just mental health. He's pulling from multiple factors. And he believed that people who... Are possessed, who go about life thinking they're possessed. So not only did he study people with multiple sclerosis or MS, which is a debilitating disease where your central nervous system basically doesn't fire correctly, but he's also studying people who have religious sexual trauma. And that doesn't necessarily have to be rape or assault. It can be someone having sex and regretting it because of what they are told. So it's just, it's so fascinating because that is the same thing as trauma. It's like instead of, you know, dealing with your trauma, instead of processing your trauma, you're told no, sadness, depression, all of this stuff is of the devil. And in a way, it's easier to believe that. It's easier mm-hmm. to believe that, oh, this is a demon in my head telling me these things. This is not really me in my brain. This is not like, I haven't been through anything bad. And it's the same way that the brain forgets things. You have amnesia of some situations, like we talked about last season, to protect yourself. But these people are protecting themselves in different ways.
0: Well, yeah. And then that's why your social environment is so incredibly powerful because it can determine how you react to
1: anything that you in- encounter in life. I think the connection with MS and demon possession is really fucking interesting. I've never heard of this before. He was the only one who studied people with MS who had a combination of MS and religious sexual trauma, but it's just so interesting because MS. You have lost. Yeah, I've actually never heard that correlation. Well, it's the symptoms of possession syndrome that he described mm-hmm. loss of control over actions. And this is as quoted by PubMed again acting differently, loss of awareness of surrounding, lo- loss of personal identity, inability to distinguish reality from fantasy, change in tone of voice, loss of perceived sensitivity to pain. So, he was the first one to really study those symptoms in regards to a combination of MS and trauma. That's so interesting because MS can also cause speech impediments and disordered speaking. It can cause your taste and your hearing and your senses to basically fail. It can affect your balance and you can feel like electric shocks with it. So I'm wondering, now I'm so intrigued. I'm so intrigued. <laughs> I'm wondering if he was making a connection to MS being caused by trauma and it being a chain reaction or what, but that's just, that's so interesting.
0: Well, I think he was trying to get at that those symptoms if someone doesn't know that they necessarily have MS, because that would, that would mean them going to see a doctor, that yeah. if they had these symptoms that they might associate them with a demonic possession of some sorts because that's easier to explain rather than going to the doctor. Yeah. Especially just, if they have a religious social environment.
1: I mean, it's the same, you know, Annalise Michael, again, with the epilepsy. It's so much easier to believe that something is happening to you as opposed to I have this deficiency in my brain that's causing me to see, hear, and behave in these ways
0: right and what was interesting with Annalise is that she did attempt to seek medical treatment. So what was interesting is she had a deeply religious uh, family. she was a deeply religious person herself and she did receive medical treatment uh, for what she was experiencing but when it got worse, they felt the medical treatment was not working. so they resulted to something that they felt was truer in a sense. That's so wild. It really is. The power your brain and your environment holds is a magnitude that some people don't recognize.
1: I just found an article, and it's called, it's on Friendly Atheist, and it's called Pat Robertson, There's a Demonic Component to Multiple Sclerosis, and Jesus is Part of the Cure. Does this not prove exactly what we're talking about? Yeah, <laughs> in a in a way, yeah, because environmental factors and trauma do play a, they have a role in the symptoms of MS coming out. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so this article it's written by Hemant M- Meta, and it quotes Pat Robertson as saying, and I quote. I know this sounds strange, but I do believe there is a spiritual component in MS. It's like a demonic. It's one of those things that you literally have to cast out. I have seen people with MS get up out of a wheelchair and push the wheelchair out of the room where we were. I've seen it. I've been involved in it. End quote. He has done exorcisms Mm -hmm. and he has told people with MS to stop going to doctors and that they just need jesus yeah that's uh that's wrong that's that's really wrong
0: i don't think i think that should be some type of negligence or recklessness i'm not sure exactly where that would fall but that's that's almost malicious in a way
1: yeah i love this article finishes it <laughs> By saying, good luck finding videos and medical records of this actually <laughs> happening. Oh, my God. There's, there's actually a clip. We should listen to the clip of him saying it.
2: When Jesus was here on earth, he healed everybody who came to him. There was not one person who came to Jesus who he turned by. He, he gave him some tests sometimes. He made them struggle sometimes but every single one was healed, that he came to Jesus. Now listen, I have dealt with MS. I have seen MS miraculously healed. Mm -hmm. I I know this sounds strange, but I do believe that there's a spiritual component in MS that's like a demonic, and it's one of those things that you literally have to cast out. But I have seen people with MS get up out of a wheelchair and push the wheelchair out of the room where we were. I mean, I've seen it, I've, I've been involved in it, but it is a horrible thing, it's a wasting disease that just eats all the energy and the fiber and everything. Um, I would recommend, among other things, that you check with an endocrinologist to see if there's something, some chemical or something that could be done that would build up that immune system that you've got or something that you're eating that's causing the problem. but. You need, in the name of Jesus, to rebuke that thing and to say to your body, "You will be whole."
0: Like as like as someone who knows someone with MS, that is so incredibly fucked up that he would have the gall to say that. Like, what an asinine
1: argument! First off, that's just oh my god, I here's the thing. I believe in the paranormal. I believe in ghosts and demons and and cryptids and all this stuff. But as true believers of the paranormal, it is our job to take pause and say, wait a minute, how much of this is actually paranormal? There is, and I know I've mentioned Scotty before. He's one of my good friends on TikTok. Scotty, the medium, amazing dude he will always be the first to say when someone comes into one of his live streams or onto one of his videos and says, I'm seeing ghosts. There's a ghost in my house. What do I do? Scotty says, well, the first step should be going to see a a health professional, whether that's a neurologist or a psychiatrist or both to make sure that you don't have something going on with your brain that is potentially dangerous and harmful. Which as someone who's a skeptic, I I appreciate that.
0: Yeah. Because that is something that gets misconstrued a lot.
1: Scotty will always say when he figured out he was a medium, when he was like, Okay, I can see ghosts. These are ghosts I'm seeing, but I'm gonna get some imaging of my head and I'm gonna see a mental health and physical health professional get some testing done to make sure that this is really happening and that I'm okay. Yeah. So anyone out there, if you are seeing
0: ghosts, um visit your local psychiatrist first and then if you're still seeing them and you are a-okay in the membrane then I guess uh, figure that out I'm not sure how you would deal with ghosts in your house but um if they were real you should probably figure out how to deal with that
1: we're not saying that if you see ghosts you're crazy we're not saying if your house is haunted you're crazy we're saying that because looking back on this episode right The Mm -hmm. best thing you can do for yourself and the people around you is to have a checks and balance. Yeah. And mental health
0: is very important and it's not always as severe as some of these cases that I've just mentioned. It really could just be like not feeling okay one day. And what's that saying? Uh, If you're not okay, that's okay. (laughs) It's okay to not be okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want any of this to stir any stigmatism around mental health uh, or mental illnesses. Uh, This is just simply to talk about how evil people use it to do evil things.
1: Okay, well, I guess without further ado, we're almost done with this season. That's crazy. Oh my God. We're going to close the case file on demonology and possessions and psychology and all this stuff for today. Don't forget to tune in next week for the final wrap up of season three Before we kick off season four We're also going to be telling you guys What season four is going to be all about So I think it's exciting And if you have any questions Don't forget to message us on Instagram Haunted.Detective If you don't want to message us You can leave a comment You can leave a review There's also a QA and a on Spotify So, Pamela, would you like to do the honors Of closing the case file today?
0: Oh my god, really? Yeah How
1: do you do that? we're going to close the case by <laughs> just kidding. you're you're you you're you're going to take your you're going to take your left hand, okay? Okay? You're going to okay. you're going to put on your head. <laughs> you have, you're going to take you're going to take your right hand. You're going to put on your chest and you're going to be like, "My name's Pamela and Kelsey is the coolest person I've ever met ever." <laughs> oh my god. All right, guys. I guess
0: we're going to close the case file today on demonology and we're putting away our psychology and sociology textbooks back on that shelf until next sixth episode. Hell yeah, brother. We'll see you
1: next time. Our we will hear you next time. Don't forget, every episode comes out at midnight on Monday. Soon as the clock hits 12 throw off your ball gown throw off your glass slippers run back home with your little little teeny tiny mice and listen to our episode throw on some sweatpants get some wine or coffee and water I know you're dehydrated you dehydrated pieces of shit go get some fucking water drink water right now now and leave us a good review and no soda doesn't count and leave us a good review please while you're drinking water (laughs) or I'm gonna cry we'll both cry (laughs) because we're hydrated enough to cry (laughs) (laughs) all right bye bye